Second Kings 19, verses 1 through 14. This is the Tree of Life translation. When King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of Adonai. Then he sent Eliakim, who was in charge of the palace, Shebna, the scribe, and senior Kohanim, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah, the prophet son of Amos. Then they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, rebuke, and contempt. For children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength for giving birth. Perhaps Adonai, your God, hearing all the words of the Reb Shekah, whom the king of Assyria, his master, has sent to mock the living God, will rebuke the words which Adonai, your God, has heard. So offer prayer for the remnant that is left. When the officials of Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Thus you will say to your master, Thus says Adonai, Do not be afraid of the words you have heard, with which the boys of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I am putting a spirit in him, and he will hear a rumor and will return to his own country. Then I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Then the Rab Shakah returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that he had withdrawn from Lachish. Now he heard a report of Tirhakah, king of Ethiopia, saying, Behold, he has come out to fight against you. When he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus will you speak to King Hezekiah of Judah, saying, Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you, saying, Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, utterly destroying them. So will you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those my fathers destroyed? Gozan, Haran, Rizpah, and the children of Eden who were in Tel Asar? Where is the king of Hamath or the king of Arpad or the king of the city of Sepharvaim, of Hena or Iva? Then Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. Then Hezekiah went up to the house of Adonai and spread it before Adonai. Thank you, Sue, for that lovely reading of all those non-English names. As I mentioned earlier, um, Crystal Case asked that I share a few thoughts um, because she hasn't been around for a while and may not be coming back next week. I'm not sure about the timing. Um, but she did want to assure everybody that she's safe and sound and she's waiting for the next step from Adonai Elohim. The short version is that um, Crystal has had a flare-up of lupus with which she struggled off and on for many, many years. Um, she asked that we pray, and I was 
uh, intrigued by the fact that she didn't ask for prayer for healing for herself. Rather, she asked for prayer that she would be given opportunity uh, to connect with other fellow strugglers who also have lupus. Um, and at the formation of what has been called the Lupus Research Alliance, basically a support group, and I think probably more than that. Um, and she wants to be uh, used by God um, as a vessel for his light to shine in darkness. And as you can imagine, folks who struggle with chronic disease like lupus uh, often tend to lose hope. And that's true for any of us who have chronic issues. And so that's what uh, Crystal is asking that, um, that we pray, that people would use her uh, presence and the fact that she's there and active and serving in this organization, um, that God would use her to touch the lives of people. Um, that people will not necessarily see her, but that they will see the light of Yeshua shining through her. And um, I was absolutely delighted to get that email and to read what she had to say. Um, because she recognizes that her weakness can be used as a platform from which God's strength can take hold of people who see her and see God at work. In other words, to see this as an opportunity. So I'd like to take a moment and pray. Even though she didn't ask for healing for herself, I'd like for us to do that. Uh, that's because we're honorary, right? Yes? Okay. Avino Malkenu, thank you for our sister. Thank you, Lord, that you have given her hope and the ability, Lord God, to look beyond herself and beyond her struggle and see her illness as a platform upon which you can do your awesome work. And so we pray, Lord, as she asked, Lord God, that you will provide opportunities to impact the lives of others who are fellow strugglers but who don't know you. And we do pray, Lord God, that as well, that you would strengthen and bring about restoration physically to her, Lord. Thank you that you know her need and you love our sister infinitely more than we do. And so we pray for that in the name of Yeshua. Amen. By the way, part of the picture um, is that Crystal is going to be uh, receiving treatment at National Jewish Hospital, uh, where I worked, by the way, for a number of years before I came into the ministry. So I have a special appreciation for what she wants to do. And uh, it also blessed me um, because so much of the time when we get into crises, all we can see are the crises. You know, they, they fill our screen. We can't see anything else. God, I'm help. I'm helpless. I'm hurting. 
Help me now. I don't care about anybody else. Help me now. Human nature, you know, that's part of the survival instinct. Also, it's frankly part of our self-centered inclination. You know, no shame in admitting that. That's kind of built into all of us. It takes the Spirit of God to empower us to be able to look beyond that. And it, it is a challenge for us when we see what looks like a slab of concrete to be able to see the possibility that God might possibly bring blades of, God, blades of grass come bursting through the concrete. And it's my experience and also what I read in the Word of God that that's God's specialty. You know, that when all we see is the concrete, God sees the potential for blades of grass to come bursting through the concrete. And um, that's the picture that we see um, in the life of Hezekiah. And by the way, his name is Chizkiah. Can you say Chizkiah? Ah, I love the guttural sounds. Chizkiah, uh, by the way, uh, means uh, my strength is God. And um, that young fellow, by the way, he was 25 when he mounted the throne. He needed every bit of strength from God to be able to overcome the toxic environment into which he was born. To give you one example, um, his father, Ahaz, uh, passed by fire one of his children um, as worship of the Moabite god Molech or Milcom. Uh, some scholars think that there was something pretty innocuous. I would say most people understand that phrase, to pass by fire, as something much more vicious, as in taking your son and throwing him inside the statue of, of this deity that looked like uh, the, the body of a man and the head of a bull, and basically have the fires consume your, your child. And if that's the correct understanding, that part of the picture is that Hezekiah grew up knowing that that is what his father did. That he took one of his brothers and tossed him into the fire as part of the worship of Molech. By the way, that was one of the absolute no-nos that God said to the people of Israel. You will not do that. That's what the people around you do. And by the way, as we are reading and looking at the portion that Ariel read to us, I was struck by the fact that so much of life was spelled out and defined in the Torah um, because God took a bunch of slaves who had no clue about ethics and morality and said to them, I want to teach you some basic reality about ethics and morality. This is how you treat one another. Because this is how you respond to me. 
And so you can imagine that when the people of Israel started to disregard God and worship idols, that how they treated one another went out by the, by the wayside. And we're looking, by the way, at a period of about 300 years uh, in which idol worship took hold in Israel and the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, uh, beginning from the time of Solomon, the last part of Solomon's reign, until this period, which is roughly about 2,700 years, uh, 2,700 years ago, so that when, a when Hezekiah comes to the throne, you're looking at 300 years worth of idol worship that had taken hold in the minds, hearts, psyche, spiritual DNA of, of the people. And this would not change until God had to throw out the people of, of Israel into exile in Babylon. And when the people of Israel came back from Babylon, idol worship was gone. Now again, as I've mentioned from time to time, idol worship is part of the human nature. You know what I mean? Thank you, Michael. Um, that when you pray and you ask God to do something and he takes his sweet time, which is his custom often, he does not operate according to the all-American um, 21st century, I want something and I want it now. We get restless, we get frustrated, and we find other ways to meet our needs, either ourselves, I'm going to fix things, so that means who is on the throne? Us, me. Or we look at other people and depend on them in, improperly and say, they're going to help me. They're going to get me out of this jam. Which to one extent or another also means that we put them on the throne. In either case, we elevate people and things into a place that they have no business being because the only one who really belongs being worshipped is God. So anything else is idolatry. My point simply is that you and I don't have the um, Asherah pole, the totem pole like the people of Israel did and we don't have shrines up on top of hills like the people of Israel and, and their neighbors had and we don't have the uh, statue to Molech, but we certainly have infanticide. Um, and we have all kinds of other forms of idolatry. My point simply is that when the people of Israel came from Babylon, I, the visible uh, external form of idol worship was gone. So much so that the rabbis bent over backwards to make sure that there's nothing that indicates idol worship. But at this point, um, Ahaz, uh, Hezekiah's father, was steeped up to his eyeballs in idol worship. In fact, we're told in, in uh, earlier chapters and also in Chronicles that Ahaz worshipped everything under, uh, under a... Uh, a grove of trees. In other words, you get the impression that this dude was out there looking for
for anything that seemed to fit to provide an opportunity for him to worship idols. And, and so you can understand what kind of environment uh, Hezekiah was going to come into. Part of the picture, again, with, with Ahaz is that in each of the summaries of the kings of Judah and Israel, you always have a statement that says either they walked and did what was straight, what was right in God's eyes, or they did not. Ahaz definitely did not walk in God's uh, paths. Um, he did all kinds of things. And by the way, what's odd with Ahaz is the fact that he lived and reigned during the ministry of Isaiah. In fact, the, the uh, Emmanuel prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, behold, a virgin shall conceive and so on, that was part of a prophecy that was given to Ahaz. And God said to Ahaz uh, through Isaiah, be careful, be calm, don't be afraid, do not lose heart, uh, because their invasion will not take place if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. If you recall from Jehoshaphat's situation, it was the same kind of words, play on words. If you don't believe, if you don't park on the reality of who is God, then you will be wobbly. You will not be set, um, set secure. Part of what God did with Ahaz is he tried to get his attention. And you know how it is when we're being stupid, which nobody here is, um, God in his mercy tries to get our attention. He sometimes sends people who will talk to us. Sometimes he puts us between a rock and a hard place to make us sit up and take notice. And then when things are really grim, God has to use a two-by-four. Well, in the case of Ahaz, he used a two-by-four in the form of the northern kingdom uh, uh, of uh, Israel and also in the form of the, uh, the king of Syria, Aram, who basically came, came to war against the, the real bad guys, Assyria, and wanted Ahaz to join him. Ahaz refused. So these other guys, Syria and Israel, the northern kingdom, came against Judah and killed a whole bunch of his people. Then on top of that, God allowed Edom from the east to come and take chunks. He also permitted the Philistines from the west to come and take chunks, and even Assyria, all the way from the north and the west, came. And what you find with Ahaz is this incredible stupidity. Um, in Second Chronicles 20, 28, 22, in his time of trouble, King Ahaz became even more unfaithful to the Lord. In other words, he hardened his heart 
The more God tries to get his attention, the harder he gets. And folks, that's scary. That really is scary when you, you have people who are in that situation. We see that, for example, in, in Revelation. At the end of times, uh, chapter 16, when God pours all kinds of plagues on the earth, um, and, and the people uh, were seared by the intense heat, and instead of responding to God, they cursed him, and they refused to repent. Um, and, and this is mentioned three times, that whatever God did by way of pouring out judgment and plagues, people's response was to curse him. And that's Ahaz. That's Ahaz, folks. That's really, really, really scary. Um, abominable behavior. And into that, you have King Hezekiah coming into the picture. Now, part of, part of reality, folks, is none of us comes from a family that is perfect. Uh, I would imagine that if we were to go around and, and ask, I would expect that each one of us would be able to tell us at least one story of dysfunctionality in the family. Father or mother being a little mishugi. And of course, as you, as you become a teenager and so on, you say, I'm never going to be like him, father. I'm never going to be like her, mother. And guess what? As you grow, you find all kinds of characteristics in you that are like your father or like your mother. So it takes special grace from God for you to blaze a different path. And I mean really blaze a different path. And that's what you see with, with Hezekiah. I mean, there's nothing of any socially, spiritually redeeming value about his father Ahaz. And yet, somehow, this 25-year-old mounts the throne and basically from the time he mounts the throne he begins uh, a, 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 a perspective, he begins a life that has his focus on God. Amazing! And, and you find that explained in three different ways to kind of give you the nuance and the flavor. So in chapter 18 of here in Kings uh, we're told that Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father did. Um, right meaning straight. In other words, he didn't go off the crooked path. Then in, in chapter 18 of 2 Kings verse 5, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among the kings of Judah, either before or after. Now, in English, it doesn't quite come across as strong, but in Hebrew, what it literally says, in God, the God of Israel, Hezekiah trusted. In other words, the, the emphasis is very clear. Unlike his, 
his foolish father, who trusted in all kinds of uh, worthless gods, Hezekiah trusted in God. By the way, remember that trust, biblically, is not just an issue of the mind, an attitude. Trust means that when you're between a rock and a hard place, you know how to depend on God and you know how to make actions that are based on your relationship with God. So it's not just a bunch of thoughts in, in, uh, in your head. And then the third way of presenting the fact that, a, that Hezekiah was totally committed to God in chapter 18, verse 6, he held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands of, that the, the Lord had given Moses. What does it mean to hold fast? Well, the Hebrew davak has the sense of sticking like glue. It's the word that goes all the way back to Genesis when it describes marriage. It says that, uh, that the man is to leave his father and mother and cleave, stick like glue to his wife. Davak. You see that a lot in the book of Deuteronomy. You know, the book with all these nasty rules and regulations that we're no longer under. I'm sorry, that was a cheap shot. <laughs> By the way, Deuteronomy has more words about love, ahava, affection, than any place else in the Torah. Deuteronomy 30. So that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. Same word there, davak. And so that was who Hezekiah was. That was part of his DNA, part of his emotion, part of his thoughts. Despite the fact that he grew up under this horrendous situation. It wasn't just the attitude, it was also his actions. Um, chapter 18, verse 4, he removed from the high, pla the high places, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made because up until that time the Israelites had been burning incest to it. It was called Nechushtan. Nechushtan from Nechash, snake. And 700, excuse me, 500 years before, that was an instrument of God's blessing. If you remember, Moses held it up, and people who looked by faith received God's healing. Now, human nature being what it is over a period of time, they begin to worship that thing and burn incense to it. And so Hezekiah was hardcore wanting to turn the people away from idol worship. So these were, the, uh, these were the feelings, the actions that we see with Hezekiah. And as you can imagine, God doesn't let us go through life as if um, there are no challenges. You know what I'm saying? I guess I'm the only one who goes through challenges. Folks, the reality is that God custom designs situations that stretch us and test us. 
And we can either look at those and gritch and blame, the, uh, blame Satan. You know, the devil made me do this. This is an attack, and sometimes it is. However, folks, if God is sovereign, please hear me. If God is sovereign, regardless of what people do, regardless of what Satan does, God is at work through the situation. And we can either embrace it or try to repress it and say, no, nah, it's not something I want to deal with. Well, human nature, we understand that. However, if we understand the sovereignty of God, the fact that he has plans, the fact that he has power, then that means that any and all situations we find ourselves in, then we learn to back up and say, God, what is it that you're doing in this particular situation? How do you want me to act? How do you want me to respond? And, and this is where the metal is proven whether a person is made of wood or whether they're made of gold when the fire is put under. Now, Scripture does not give us a picture of Hezekiah being absolutely perfect. Reality is he made some decisions that were questionable. However, part of reality, the way God viewed Hezekiah was that Hezekiah's character was, was sterling, made of good stuff and and here and I'll just describe it real briefly what's going on uh, Assyria where where the big big bad wolves of of, of their time and apparently uh, Judah along with a bunch of other people were paying them tribute and at some point Hezekiah got tired of it he decided not to when Assyria came and gobbled up a bunch of cities like Pac-Man. And Hezekiah tried to buy him off. Not a smart thing. He gave him a bunch of silver and gold from the temple. And you know how it is with a bully? You satisfy him, you appease him, and he will come back for more. Right? And that's... That's, uh, that's how the Assyrians were. They were bullies. They were brutal bullies. And the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, um, sends messengers with a message to, as part of psych warfare. You know, before you actually send the military to, to go in, you, you try to mess with their minds. Because if you can get their minds, you don't have to do any warfare. And so part of the message that we had read to us, that Sue read to us, um, basically tries to undermine Hezekiah in his relationship with God. Verse 11, surely you have heard what the king of Assyria has done, uh, the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. 
and you will be delivered? You've got to be kidding. Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my forefathers deliver them? The gods of Gozan, etc., etc. Where are these kings? And so part of the picture in Hezekiah's place, I would be sorely tempted to freak out. You know? Here you have these guys who are brutal, who have had nobody able to stop them before, and they're coming surrounding Jerusalem, and from a human emotional perspective, there's the mindset that says, these guys are going to break through the walls, they're going to kill us. And so what we see Hezekiah responding is based on what was in his heart, in his M.O., part of his DNA. And he did three basic things. He first of all goes into the temple. Um, he tears his, cl his clothes, puts on sackcloth, which was a sign of mourning. He goes into, into the temple. Secondly, he sends messengers to Isaiah and part of what he's saying is this guy has the gall to ridicule the living God. Who does he think he is? In other words, do you remember somebody else using exactly those words? David saying that, that Goliath had the gall to try and ridicule the living God? And so he sends the messengers to Isaiah because he wants to hear. And the third major step is he gets this message, he goes to the temple, and he spreads it before the Lord. Now, I don't know about you guys. I like visual things. So for me, that's always been a visual encouragement. Stuff comes against you. My sanity saver, such as it is, is to go into the presence of God and say, Lord, here it is. I don't know what to do with it. You take it. And I believe that that honors the heart of God. The scripture tells us in First, King, First Samuel chapter 2 that God honors those who honor him. In other words, you take actions that indicate not just your trust, but indicate how you feel about God, the fact that you're willing to trust Him in difficult situations. And that warms the heart of our Heavenly Father. Makes Him smile. He is absolutely delighted by that. Because what we're saying is, Lord, uh, as we saw... Uh, couple weeks ago with Jehoshaphat, Lord, I don't have the strength, I don't have the wisdom, I don't know what to do. You do. And here it is. Here's the mess. Here's the, the challenge, the crisis that is way beyond me. And the reason for that, folks, is because that is how this relatively young man patterned his life. And folks, in times of crisis, we act what comes natural to us, comes naturally to us. In other words, what, the way we had taken steps 
as standard MO, standard part of life, when we are under the gun, what comes forth is that, either for good or for evil. Chizkiah does that, and God acts big time. This is one of my favorite passages here at the end of chapter 19. That night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. And the people got up and the next morning they were all dead bodies. I would have liked to have been there. King, King James uh, Version puts it this way. They got up and they were all dead. Would have been, would have been a, uh, a bad hair day for us who have some. Uh, but the point is, Hezekiah trusted God in a very difficult, very difficult set of circumstances. And God's heart was warmed and, and, and delighted, and God responded because he honors those who honor him. And by the way, part of the picture, at the end of the chapter, we see that King Sennacherib, the Assyrian, went back to his, to his uh, country, and he was worshiping his idol. And two of his sons slaughtered him. Two of his kids killed him. That's part of God's judgment on, on this guy who was threatening to laugh in God's face. So the, the story starts out pretty grimly with a king dad who is abominable, who does everything under the book that is wrong. Everything that makes God very angry. And yes, he experienced God's judgment. And yet here you have a 25-year-old son who sees all that garbage. And somehow what happens is that the blades of grass come through the concrete in his life. And this young fellow shows his heart for God and follows him not just up here, but every part of his being. So that somewhere in his 29-year reign, God allows severe set of circumstances to come into his life. And Hezekiah could either have done the right thing, trusted God, or he could have gone the other way, as his father did. And yet, he trusts God, and God comes through and delivers. Such an incredible model for us that we often begin life and begin circumstances that are spiritually grim 
And we can either look at them and say, you know, that's who I am. Or you can say, God, you're able to bring about a transformation. And, and we see that in Hezekiah's case, God did bring about a transformation. And remember that God always begins with a heart. Because if God has your heart, he has you. He got a hold of his heart. Hezekiah acted to, clean, to do a massive cleanup. And then God allowed him to experience crisis. And he learned to depend on God. That's part of the picture, folks. God allows difficult circumstances and we either learn to trust him and see him break through or we break our teeth. May the Lord challenge us through this example here. Father God, we, we thank you and we praise you for this story of this king who is sold out for you. And Lord, that's where we want to be. We want to be, Lord, uh, walking in your straight path. Lord, we want to stick to you like glue, Lord. We want to honor you in our lives, in the good, the bad, and the ugly. We pray, Lord God, that in each of us, you would receive much honor and glory. Pray, Lord God, that you would challenge us and give us the faith that we need to trust you and, and see breakthroughs and see victories come about in our life, individually and corporately. We ask this in the name of Yeshua. Amen.